Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and this is The Daily DC. Thanks so much for listening. Today on the podcast... The post-Labor Day turn to the competitive campaign season. You cannot come across a newspaper or website tracking the 2020 race that does not give you some sort of uh, state-of-the-race update as the traditional summer season comes to a close and the candidates move from July 4th and Labor Day parades into a much more intensive period of campaigning of spending all that money they're raising on television and digital advertising, on building much more robust organizations on the ground in the key early states, and all that while still having to show up every month for debates. Well, some of them. As you know, the field of debating candidates has been cut in half. But And, and there will still be a few big cattle calls. But the big story of the 2020 Democratic race thus far as we do move into this new period. I think we're 153 days away from the Iowa caucuses now. Uh, When you hear people say on television, it's still early. Take that with a grain of salt. It is still early. We can point to lots and lots of campaign history, presidential campaign history, where dynamics shifted between the beginning of September and the Iowa caucuses, no doubt. But we can also point to lots and lots of presidential campaign history when the shape and contours of the race were clear at the beginning of September and emerged that way all the way through the beginning of the voting in Iowa and New Hampshire. So, yes, it's early in the sense that we've still got five months to go before people actually vote. And... I would argue that the voting, which obviously always matters most, that's actually how people win delegates and win the nomination, is going to be the thing that probably alters the current narrative rather than something prior to the voting. That is what it may be too late for, is to dramatically change the nature of the race, the, the, the shape of the race between now and the voting. It seems to me... Barring some big external event, it is the voting that is going to be the thing that either sort of confirms the current state of the race or upends it. Why do I say that? I say that because it has, as I was saying, the the story of the 2020 race thus far has been that it's been a remarkably stable race in the sense that Joe Biden was seen as a precarious frontrunner in the months leading up to his announcement, and now in these months after his announcement, he's still seen by some in the Democratic establishment, in the media, in the donor community, in the political operative world, as a precarious frontrunner. Voters don't usually assess those kinds of things. They just are the ones that are making him the frontrunner in the polls by answering that they support him. So his status, both as the frontrunner, 
has proven durable, as has this notion that his frontrunner status may be somewhat tenuous. There's been this divide between where voters are in what they are saying about Joe Biden, supporting him, especially older voters, African-American voters, voters without a college degree, the core constituencies inside the Democratic nominating electorate are, are with Joe Biden. So the voters have been with him from before he got in to after he got in through verbal gaffes and miscues and questions about his age and stamina, and yet here he is still with that support of Democratic voters. What has also remained constant through the Biden candidacy is the question mark hanging over his head if that frontrunner status is real, strong, deep, and durable all the way through going the distance here to the nomination. And I think it is clear that as long as he is still seen, and he is still seen by the Democratic electorate as the one that has the best chance to defeat Donald Trump, that is going to go a very long way. This gets back to why I say we may have to tune in in January, February, uh, when the voting begins, to see the next big dramatic development in this race, despite debates coming this fall, despite the onslaught of television ads, the ins and outs every day on the campaign trail. It may be that in February is when we see the next dramatic development in this race when voters weigh in, because that may be when we learn if voters, if Democratic primary voters still see Joe Biden as as the most likely to defeat Donald Trump, and if that still carries more weight than anything else on their minds. What is also clear in this race that has been remarkably stable, again, with that overall sort of framework, is that nobody has really come close to knocking him off his perch. We talked about the blip uh, that Kamala Harris had after the first debate and that that disappeared. We've talked about the steady rise that Elizabeth Warren has proven to be a top contender and and fight her way into that number two slot in a battle with Bernie Sanders. But the two of them are still pretty far below where Biden sits. Harris and Buttigieg round out that top five. And it is it is hard to see from here, the day after Labor Day, what it could upend that scenario of of those five being the top five, but Buttigieg and Harris really being in a lower tier by themselves within that top five, needing to fight their way into a substantial battle for the nomination. I will just note one other thing. As, as we see this divide between Democratic establishment, media, donor community, operatives, and their thoughts on Biden's viability and where the voters are, that gulf, there had been a huge gulf between those two worlds for much of the spring and the summer. But Biden's ability to to prove durable thus far has narrowed that gap somewhat. And you can see that there are those who questioned whether Biden might have the endurance to do this, who are now considering the notion that he may be the one that is is the nominee at the end of the day. So his durability has certainly narrowed that gap, but there's still a gap. And that delta between sort of where the establishment is and where the voters are inside the Democratic Party, that will be fascinating to watch this fall, how that delta grows or shrinks. In addition to that being sort of the 
shape and and state of the race. There are a couple things that I just want to point out for you all on this day after Labor Day as we kick into the fall campaign season. About Biden specifically, as it relates to his miscues, his verbal missteps, his gaffes, however you want to call it, I want you to hear how he answered a question yesterday in Iowa when a reporter asked him about that Washington Post story last week that was reporting that he did not have all the details right about the story that he was telling about war heroes and that, you know, should that matter? Should having all the facts right in a story that the front-running Democratic presidential candidate is telling on the trail, should it matter? Here's the question and, and Joe Biden's very telling answer in Iowa yesterday. Do details matter on the campaign trail? They, 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 they matter in, in terms of whether or not you're trying to mislead people. Um, and I wasn't trying to mislead anybody. Um, uh, there was a young man up on, on the, that I did pin the medal on. There was another young man up in that fob on the, up in the upper, upper Conar Valley who was heroic as well. And it turned out Rodriguez pinned the pin on him. But my point is I was there. The fact is, what I was, the point I was trying to make, I make again. The valor and honor of these warriors are as significant as any warriors we've ever had in the history of the United States of America. That was my point. This is what Joe Biden seems to get that a lot of the chattering class may not get, Uh, which is not to say it's not fair game for a news organization to fact check a presidential candidate in their words and their storytelling and and call them out when the facts aren't there. But whether that means that the bottom is about to fall out from Joe Biden's campaign, I think Joe Biden, what you hear in that answer when he says that, A, he was not intentionally trying to mislead anyone. So if you are looking for this to somehow weigh on him in a way, his verbal missteps, his verbal miscues, his confusion of facts, if you're looking to weigh in sort of his honest and trustworthiness status with Democratic primary voters, he's making clear this doesn't have to do with honest and trustworthiness, A, that he wasn't intentionally trying to do with it. And then his other answer, and again, I think he's probably giving an answer that most Democratic voters would agree with, is it's not that facts don't matter, but that the overall point was that he was trying to lift up these American heroes, these war heroes who deserve the recognition of the American people. Again, something that most voters are going to forgive any kind of a confusion of details in a story. And he broadens it out to say the overall point I was making was this. And it's one that obviously would be popular with voters. I think Joe Biden gets his ability to explain the overall point and understand that he has a relationship with the electorate to do that in a way that maybe the political press doesn't give him as they score every verbal misstatement. Again, you know, comparing this in the era of Trump is a very difficult thing to do because if you focus just on what seemed to be unintentional, factual misstatements against what are some clear, deliberate lies from President Trump, you're feeling like you're comparing apples and oranges and not apples and apples. But it does raise the question if Trump has sort of changed the game permanently on how people sort of grade the actual words of 
presidential contenders and presidents, which no doubt will be a topic that will be a part of the entire general election, no matter who the nominee is, because it is part of the Trump legacy now. But Joe Biden may understand that these things are not as dangerous to his frontrunner status as perhaps some in the political press corps or the establishment may believe. That does not mean that he doesn't still sit in a somewhat precarious position as the frontrunner in this field that is just about to turbocharge into the next phase, the next phase of organization on the ground. And that brings me to the last point on this post-Labor Day welcome back podcast. We can get very wrapped up in the national narrative and in looking ahead to the general election for these Democrats against Donald Trump. The one thing I would urge all of you listeners to constantly be thinking about is what is actually happening on the ground in Iowa versus the national narrative. At times, the national narrative impacts and sort of helps steer what is happening on the ground in Iowa. But at times, it doesn't. And I would just say that in no time can I remember the results of the Iowa caucuses being quite as important for a frontrunner as they will be for Joe Biden this time. And so if he continues to dominate frontrunner status nationally, just keep looking to see in Iowa if voters' calculus at all change there about his – about their assessment that he is the one that can best defeat Donald Trump. Elizabeth Warren was on the campaign trail in New Hampshire yesterday. She took this on and she challenged Democrats not to go with the safe choice, she said. This is clearly her line of electability argument that she is sharpening as she is heading into a new phase of her competition with Joe Biden because they'll both be on the same debate stage for the first time next week in Houston at the third Democratic National Committee debate series. So she clearly is sharpening her language around uh, framing Biden as a safe choice and that Democrats can't do safe in this era of the need to defeat Donald Trump. We'll see if voters buy that argument from Elizabeth Warren, but continue to watch that electability argument and how it is playing out in Iowa versus how it is playing out nationally. There can be meaningful differences there. And one final note, don't forget as we're looking at the state of the race in this new phase of the campaign, when these candidates are spending digital and television ad dollars on a topic that isn't dominating cable news coverage in the presidential race, it's because they understand and they have the research to back it up of what is most important to voters. And I just note that today as the Biden campaign announces that it is adding to its television effort in Iowa with Facebook and YouTube and Hulu ads that are all focused on health care. His Facebook ads that he rolled out today, uh, Joe Biden, it's about the rising costs of prescription drugs. It's about saying Obamacare was a good place to start, but now the country has to go even further in, in health care uh, service and protections and guaranteed access. So this is just a good reminder that if the Biden campaign is spending dollars on communicating to voters in Iowa about health care, but the conversation is about his verbal miscues, they, they probably are doing that because they have data to suggest that that's a better use of their resources than trying to push back on the sort of 
media establishment conversation around his candidacy. So we as observers of this race should always be paying attention to that to make sure that we're not missing where the voters are spending most of their thought energy around these candidates. It's more on issues like health care, perhaps, than it is on Joe Biden's latest verbal mishap. That does it for this edition of The Daily DC. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again right here tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.